just remember, when God closes a door, he opens a window. And never forget, God never gives you more than you can handle. God never said that. I've got another one if you want to take a shot. Yeah, they come as a pair. Bring it. Sometimes wouldn't you just like to smack well-meaning Christians? In the name of Jesus, right? Well, we're in the uh, second week of our series, God Never Said That. Last week we looked at the cultural belief that God, above all else, God wants you to be happy. God never said that. God created you to be holy, not happy. And if God has to choose between your happiness and your holiness, he will always choose your holiness because your holiness is one of those things that you get to take with you to heaven. Next week, we're going to look at the popular belief that it doesn't matter what you um, do as long as you don't hurt someone else. God never said that. God said our actions matter. Week after that, we're going to look at, um, God didn't say that uh, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. That week, we're going to look at the fact that, that beliefs matter. Actions matter next week. Beliefs matter the week after that. Now, today, I've got some really, really good news for you. You are either about to head into troubling times, or you're in the middle of troubling times, or you're coming out of troubling times. Isn't that good news? Because you're going, which one am I? I want to be coming out, right? Now, that's that's not the happy message that a lot of people want to hear when they go to church. And, and we talked about last week, happy, get the, get the CD. Uh, we'll have it sometime, but we don't have it today. Um, but anyway, I've heard too many people say, God wants you to be happy. God didn't say that. Now, what I, what, what I realize is there's a lot of you that are suffering today. Every time that I I do a prayer time and I say, hey, how many of you are just really, you're crushed? A lot of people, at least a third, maybe a half of the congregation raise their hands that they're being crushed by the circumstances of life. And um, isn't it amazing that when, when your circumstances, when you start heading into that storm, isn't it amazing how quickly the storm builds to the point that you think you can't handle it anymore? Some of you are going through a lot. I know people in our congregation who cannot pay their medical bills in their lifetime. There's no way they can do it. I know people that um, can't catch a break in relationships. Some of that's because they're choosing the wrong people, but that's another story for another day. Um, Others are in a constant state of fear for their health. Um, And don't get me started about the job situation that a lot of you enter right now. Everyone in this room has something, some type of storm that they're battling with. And the weight just gets heavier and heavier and heavier until we say, I just can't take it anymore, right? Anybody identify with that? You ever been there? I just can't take anymore. Can't have any more bad news. And then along comes some well-meaning Christian with annoying Christian advice. Don't worry. Whenever God closes a door, he always opens a window. What does that mean? And show me the scripture. If you're going to quote something to me, pull it out, back it up with scripture. I'm at, I'm at Baylor University. I went uh, for a reunion. I was in a group way back when. My kids laughed about this because they knew I was in singing groups because I was a church music major, but this was a singing and dancing group. They said, you danced? So we had this reunion. They had a big show last night. I couldn't stay for that, but I got to go and I got to hang out with these people. Got to go into McLean Stadium. So there's about 60 of us with spouses. There's probably about 75, 80 people. We got to go up to the the uh, suite level at McLean Stadium right there on I-35 in Waco. Man, it's so much better than when I was there. We went down to Floyd Casey Stadium, which is, anyway, I'm not bitter about that at all. 
So we're at this banquet and the food is magnificent. The, we got to look at the suites. We got to hang out in there a little bit and look at the field and wish we could see a game that we can't afford to go to. Um, but we were enjoying all of that. And then we sat down to eat and we're, we're having great fellowship. People I hadn't, some of the people I hadn't seen in 29 years since I graduated from Baylor. 1986. Don't do, you don't have to do the math. That makes me 50. All right, I'm 50. So uh, some of the people that sang at my wedding, mine and Janie's wedding, were there and hadn't seen them in 24 years. And it was just awesome to hang out with them. But this guy comes up and he's, he's addressing this crowd. And, and we're at Baylor University, which is supposed to be a Baptist university. Which don't even get me started about that either. But the, he stands up and he goes, well, they say whenever God closes a door, he opens a window. And I wanted to say, dude, I'm preaching on that Sunday. It's not true. You obviously didn't go through the religion classes at Baylor. Maybe you did. Maybe that's why he believes it. I don't know. <sighs> we're, up, we're up about, I don't know, 100 feet in the air. And I'm thinking, if you open a window, that's dangerous. I don't want any of these. Because some of them were drinking. There was a bar and, at, at Baylor. Who knew? Um, and I'm like, don't open it. That's confusing to me. God does not say, nowhere in scriptures it say when God closes he opens a window. Um, or people will say, remember God helps those who help themselves. That is not in the scripture. That's another subject for another day. Today I want to look at the statement, don't worry, God will never give you more than you can handle. I want you to just, just get in practice of this, and, and if you need to wag your finger a little bit or point, whatever, that's fine. I want you to turn next to somebody and, turn to somebody and say, God never said that. Do it with attitude. So you hear some of these things, you can, you can point them back to me. My preacher said, God never said that, all right? So you can point them to me. Now, if God never said that, where did that belief come from? I, I think it's from a misquote of 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. John and I were having this conversation about three weeks ago. I was telling him about this series, and we got to talking about this particular message. And, and he said, well, I, I know people quote... First John, uh, First Corinthians ten thirteen, and here's Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about temptation. Let's look at exactly what he said, and then we'll we'll kind of pull this apart a little bit. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is what? Say that again. God is what? Faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Whenever you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Now, God said he will not let what be more than you can bear temptations. Temptations are very different than storms. James tells us that, that God will never tempt you. And this says God won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but will, will enable you to endure it if you'll trust him. He, he's not talking about storms here. Jesus said, you're going to have trouble. You're going to go through storms. So, so what I, my, my uh, premise today is God will always give you more than you can handle. Always. You want to know why? Somebody say yes, or we're done. Somebody are like, wait, no, no, no. We could get out 20 minutes early. Beat the Methodists for once. Here's, here's why God will always give you more than you can handle. There's three reasons I put down. There's a whole bunch more, but three that I, that I brought for this message. Number one, so that we can bring him glory. So that we can bring him glory. Now, some of you know your Old Testament. You know that when um, God showed up and talked to Moses, even if you've never been to church, you've probably heard about this. What, where, where was God, what was he in the form of when he spoke to Moses? A burning bush. Now, that's kind of unique, right? So God comes, shows up in a burning bush, this bush that talks and isn't consumed by the fire. And God says to Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to say, let my people go. And, and Moses goes, huh? 
Because he ran away from there thinking he was going to be killed. He was going to be killed because he killed an Egyptian who was beating an Israelite. So he says, no, I'm not going to do that. Now, God eventually convinces him. And when he goes and he does that, God repeatedly does things so miraculous that people are wanting to worship the God that Moses served. Nobody wanted to worship Moses. God got the credit for what Moses had done. And you need to understand, um, some of you know the whole story of Moses. Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. I believe the, the two reasons. He was disobedient to God and he tried to steal some of God's glory. Because later on, you know, you got a million men, which means you probably have a million women, you may have a million children. So you've got all of these three million people walking around in the wilderness. You've got to feed them, you've got to give water to them. Well, one day they were grumbling because they hadn't had any water. And, and Moses goes to God and says, God, you know, they're grumbling, we need to give them some water. God says, speak to the rock and water will come out of the rock. And so Moses goes out and the people were grumbling and Moses gets mad. And so he takes his staff and he strikes the rock. Now, what did God tell him specifically to do? speak to the rock. He strikes the rock, water comes, but before he does that, he says, shall we bring water for you from this rock? Who's we? Anybody out here ever gone out and just spoken to a rock and water comes out? If you do, be sure and get it on video so we can use it, right? Because God told him and he was disobedient, he struck the rock, but then who's we, Moses? Did you turn the the river into blood? Did you cause the gnats to invade the land? No. You, God will never share his glory with you. That's something he keeps for himself. He'll give you mercy and grace and forgiveness and peace, but he will not share his glory with you. And, and see, God's plan for your life is always bigger than your plan. It's always harder than your plan. It's always more rewarding than your plan. Why? So that God gets the glory when he works through you. When people see incredible stuff happening, they don't, they don't go listen to a pastor when they see incredible things happening. They go to see God. That's what we should do every week. Now, if you're trying to do life on your own, that means you are out of God's will because God never designed you to do life on your own. He's going to give you something that's harder so that it can bring glory to his name. Now, in the book of Judges, one of my, I studied this in seminary, and it was one of my favorite classes in seminary because um, you studied about all these different things, got to read all this and study the background. Well, one of the, one of the characters is Gideon in Judges chapter 6. And you need to read this for yourself. It's a short story. But, but what happens here is comical because Gideon is hiding on a, on, at a wine press threshing wheat. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, where did you usually go to thresh wheat? On a threshing floor. That's why it's called a threshing floor. So he's hiding out, threshing wheat in a wine press. And I'll tell you why in just a second. All right. So he's hiding. God shows up. And this is what he says to him in Judges 6, beginning in verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he, <laughs> oh, I just get tickled because I, I picture this. He said, the Lord is with you. What? Would a mighty warrior be hiding out in a wine press threshing wheat? No. God saw what he could become with God's power. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Here's Gideon, mighty warrior. But sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? I just hear him whining. Why? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. See, you should be threshing wheat on a, on a threshing floor unless the bullies, the Midianites, come and steal your wheat every time you thresh it. Where are you, God? See, I, I don't think he was much hero material. Good thing God didn't send me to go. I'm going, 
dude, get out of here. Let's go fight somebody. Uh, I don't know. He's not hero material, but here's the thing. God never uses hero material. So if you think that, that you, your life has been battered, if you think you're not good enough, God wants to use you to do something that brings glory to his name. Moses, when God told him, you know, I want you to go to Pharaoh, he said, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not a good leader. Esther, great story of Esther. Um, she becomes queen and, and her people are going to be destroyed and the, and the king doesn't even know that she's Jew. And, and Mordecai says, you need to go to the king. And you, in those days, if you showed up at the king's court and you were not summoned, you could be killed on the spot because how dare you come into the king's presence without him asking you to. So she says, well, I'm probably going to die, but uh, y'all fast and pray. And if I die, I die. You know, she goes and and does that. King David, after he had sinned with Bathsheba and all of this stuff had become known, look what it says in uh, Psalm 38, 4 and 8. My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. I am exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. Does that sound like a man who has it all together and he's just happy with life? No. And, and even Jesus, the son of God, when he was looking ahead to what was going to happen on the cross, said this in Mark fourteen thirty four: My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to what? Point of death. Anybody ever been overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death? Anyone? Some of you, yeah. I have. God never said he wouldn't give you more than he could, you could handle. In fact, God will always give you more than you can handle. Why? Well, <laughs> so that he can show his power through you. And here's the thing. Every time you allow God to work through you, somebody is going to come to know Christ and you're going to look a little bit more like Jesus. And those are two goals that God says is worthy of you suffering, right? So if it will make you look like Jesus, God's going to let you go through it because he wants you to bear the family resemblance. And if somebody, some lost person will come to Christ because of your suffering, God's going to let you do that. Because don't you remember Jesus left, he's telling the parable and he said, the shepherd left the 99, those are sheep in the fold. Where did he go to find the one that was lost? And if God requires your suffering so that someone can come into the kingdom of God to live eternally in heaven, he will let you suffer. It's worth it to him so that you can look like Jesus, so that somebody can come to Christ. So your pain and suffering worth it, and, and all of that is to bring God glory. That's the first reason. The second reason God will give you more than you can handle is to teach us to depend on his presence. Have you noticed how when, when things are going well, it's easy to forget about God, right? Um, life is good. You're like, yeah, God, yeah, I know you're there. God is great. God is good. Let's thank you for the food. But right now, I don't really need anything, God, because things are going good, and I really wish you'd leave things going good. Let's not jinx it. Don't do anything to jinx it. <laughs> you don't feel an urgent need for God until stuff falls out, right? Until the bottom falls out. Stuff goes bad. You get an ingrown toenail for three days. Oh, God, I need you. I've heard you. Some of you put prayer requests on. The, it, wasn't, it wasn't that. I have an ingrown toenail. Come here. My dad, my dad would pull out the pocket knife. And make you lay on the couch. And he'd put, oh man, he'd do surgery. My mom's like, what are you doing? He said, I'm just fixing it. He didn't fix it. 
when stuff happens, we suddenly remember God. And this is, this is the story of Jonah. Now, God comes to Jonah and he says, go and preach to the Ninevites. And Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. He didn't like those people. So he said, no. And he thinks he can run away from God. And, and so some of you right now, you're rebelling just like Jonah did. God's told you to do something. You just don't want to do it. And so you're rebelling. And, and I just want you to realize what's going to happen if you rebel against God. Not only is your, your life going to go south, but it's going to spiral out of control. Now, through a strange series of events, Jonah is on a ship running from God, thinking he can get away from God's presence. And the men on the ship, in order to stop a storm, they chunk Jonah overboard. They figure out it's because of Jonah that this big storm is coming. They throw him overboard. The the sea becomes calm. And what happens? A big fish. We don't know what it was. Maybe a whale. I don't know. Some Something big came and, and swallowed him up. We're going to pick this up in verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, and then we're going to read verse 7. When a big fish swallows you, you probably would do the same thing. I cried out to the Lord in my what? Great trouble. In the NIV, it says distressed. And and we'll come back to distressed in a minute. I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead. Because if you're in the middle of, if you're in the belly of a fish, do you think you're going to get out? I'm thinking I'm being digested really slowly. And I'm thinking that probably hurts. God, help me. I'm in the middle of a fish. Look what he says in verse 7. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. Do you know there's a lot of atheists? My dad told me this. My dad came to Christ in a foxhole as he's being bombed by the Japanese on Guadalcanal. Dad was the first one who ever told me. He says, there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. And when, when people start facing death, you can tell the difference in someone who believes in Christ and someone who doesn't. Because the people, and, and I've read lots of stories of, of atheists dying and being fearful of death because they're no longer sure of what's on the other side. But the Christian says, Jesus died, conquered death, he came back, and every shred of evidence for his resurrection from the dead is evidence that I am his child and I will be resurrected with him. There's a difference between an atheist and a Christian when it comes to death. Now, I want you to notice what, what, well, let me finish this. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Now, notice, notice Jonah did not say in my success, I called on the Lord, but in my great trouble or distress. Now we have this term in our family and I don't want to get too graphic about this, but when you're having stomach issues, we call it stomach distress. Now stomach distress is worse than diarrhea. Okay. So that just means clear out because life is bad. Stomach distress. You don't mess with somebody who has stomach distress. And and as I was thinking about this word distress, I remembered two years ago in August, I went to Haiti and I preached for, um, got there on Saturday and I preached Sunday, two services, actually three services on Sunday and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night and I was supposed to fly back to Texas on um, Thursday. Well, I got stomach distress from the pit of hell on Wednesday of that day. And some of you remember this. I put it on Facebook and I didn't put that on Facebook. I just said, I'm sick as a dog and I don't know if I can preach tonight. And I'm telling you, it was so bad that, that I went in my hotel room because that's the only place that... <laughs> if you ever go to Haiti, this is a great commercial for Haiti. Um, you, will learn to, uh, you will learn to appreciate air conditioning in bathrooms because uh, they have none. And uh, if you have stomach distress and you're in an unair conditioned... Oh, man. So I was just... I was to the point that I thought if I don't breathe and I, if I don't move, I might not have to go to the bathroom again. And it was so bad, I'm laying in Haiti thinking... Take me, Lord. 
I do not want to go through this because not only, and and by the grace of God, I was able to preach that night, but, but they have special bathrooms at the back of the, the, the church for, for the ministers and it's locked. And I was like, Oh dear God, I don't want to have to go in there in the middle of the Anyway. And then I had to fly home and you have to fly to Miami or Fort Lauderdale and then they have a layover. And by the time I got home, I I'd lost about 10 pounds just from stomach distress. All right. All of that to say, People don't call on God in their success. When do they call on God? In their distress, right. When things get bad, you remember God. Did God get Jonah's attention? (laughs) Yeah. Too many of you are in the middle of a storm and you start doubting God. Don't ever doubt the presence of God in the midst of a storm. Storms are God's way of getting your attention. So always look at your circumstances with the backdrop of the cross. Put the background on your, on your computer screen that the cross is there because the cross is an exclamation point that says, I love you, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. I've conquered your greatest enemy, which is death and hell. So you don't have to worry about whether God is paying attention. There's a reason you're going through a storm. It's either to bring God glory or it's to teach you to depend on his presence. Look what David said in Psalm 145, 18. Now, David's had a lot of trouble in his life, and he said, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. If it takes a storm for you to remember God, then guess what you're going to get in your life? A storm, because in Hebrews, it tells us that God disciplines his children. If he doesn't discipline you, you're probably not in the kingdom of God. If you're his child, he will discipline you because he wants your attention. And I I just got to tell you that I've learned more about God and I've grown closer to God in the valleys than I have on the mountaintops. If, if your walk with Christ is only based on the mountaintop, he's going to take you through some valleys because you're going to learn more there. When I look back at my life, maybe not at the moment, I didn't understand the presence of God at the moment, but I can look back and the deepest, darkest times of my life are when I made the biggest gains in my relationship with Christ. And so if I have to make a choice about being on the mountaintop without God or being in the valley with God, I'm choosing to go in the valley, even knowing. See, I was trying to think where we were because I saw my, my roommate from college, hadn't seen him uh, in 29 years. And, and we were sitting there and he said, how are your parents? I said, well, mom, dad, and sis were killed. And I started telling him through that. And he goes, holy cow. Because the last two years that we've gone through is the valley of the shadow of death. And, and I can tell you that God does more in the valley than he does on the mountaintop. So if I have to go through it again, I'll go through it again. If it means one of you can come to Christ, I'll go through it again. And those who are, are fully devoted followers of Christ are on their way to that. They'll choose the valley so that God can get glory or so that somebody can come to Christ. Now, why does God give you more than you can handle? Glory. So you can learn to depend on him third, so that you can experience his power. Too many of you are doing life on your own. It's all about your power. That's why you're failing. Second Corinthians, Paul is talking about a thorn in the flesh, and we don't know what that was. This was something that was bothering him. Uh, could have been stomach distress. I don't know. He had it for a long time, and he, he, he says this to, to God. Three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. And, and when you hear that, because I know a lot of Christians will say, well, I've prayed about it. How many times have you prayed about it? Once twice. How many days have you prayed about it? Days? Are you insane? I got work to do. I got stuff to do. 
Bible says that we should pray without ceasing. I think that what Paul did, I think that Paul fasted and he prayed and he cried out to God. He, he pled with God to remove whatever this thorn was. I bet he even asked his churches that he had started. I bet he asked them to pray seasons and seasons of prayer. And God did not answer the way that Paul wanted him to. And a lot of us would stomp our feet and get mad at God. And see, I'm, I'm just thinking, if there's anybody in the New Testament that should be healed, it should be Paul. Because outside of Christ, who has done more? He wrote half of the New Testament. He started churches all over the known world, led people to Christ, and, and he went through all kinds of stuff. And I'm just going to tell you that, that he, he qualified for elite status in the kingdom of God, and God did not heal him from whatever he had. So if a giant of the faith, if for some reason God didn't heal him... God may not heal me. And we're going to find out how serious I am about Christ if he doesn't. If you live long enough and you walk with God long enough in this sin-stained world, you're going to have a thorn in your flesh. I don't know what it is. It's going to be something that God's not going to take away. You're going to ask God, remove it, and he doesn't answer your prayer. You're going to say, can't you just help the depression go away? Can't you just heal my child of these headaches? I hate seeing someone I love suffer. God, can't you heal them? God, can't you heal my marriage? God, can't you turn my child back towards you? Can't you just help me for one month not be financially strapped? God, (laughs) you know he can handle it and he doesn't. And and the way you respond may determine how God works in your life. Because this is where Paul was. All of this stuff, I've been praying, God, I'm, I'm giving my life for you. And God answers him, which means God also answered you before you ever asked this question. Why is God letting me have more than I can handle? Here it is in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God said to him, my grace is, someone help me out. My grace is what? Say it again. My grace is what? All you need. My power works best in what? Weakness. So I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Paul started talking some crazy talk. All right, look at the next verse, 2 Corinthians 12, 10. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships, persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. God, thank you, God, that people are insulting me for, for the cause of Christ. God, thank you for the hardships. What kind of hardships? He was beaten numerous times with a rod and with a whip. He had been shipwrecked. He'd been in the, in the ocean a night and a day. And then when he gets out, he goes onto this island. He gets bit by a poisonous snake. He's had all kinds of hardships. He said, God, I'm going to glory in the hardships. Why? Why? Because he says, when I am weak, then I'm what? God's power is perfected in weakness. When I am weak, then I'm what? I want you to say it with me. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Say it with me. When I am weak, then I'm strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. I delight in hard stuff because if that's what it takes to make me look more like Jesus, then I'm going to glory in the hard stuff because I want to look like Jesus. One of my favorite professors in seminary said this. He said, suffering drastically reduces your wish list. When times are going good, what happens? Your money, your money expands. What happens? Your budget expands to match the money. You know, you start buying stuff because you got extra money. And, and then when, when all of a sudden your child is in the hospital and dying, all of a sudden it doesn't matter whether you have a boat or not. All of a sudden it doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. All you care about is my child getting well. And see, God's going to give you more than you can handle. If he calls you to be a foster parent, you're going to have more than you can handle. If, if you're going to have children, you're going to have more than you can handle. If you're a man married to a woman or a woman married to a man, you're going to have more than you can handle. There you go. 
Covered both sides. Instead of saying, I got to be strong, because some of you are trying to be strong, and God never created you to be strong. God created you to need him, so when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You're going to go through storms, maybe to bring God glory. It may be so you can depend on his presence. It may be so that you can experience his power. Father, I pray today that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would move in this place, and people who need a touch from you would be reminded of how much you love them. Now, just with your heads bowed for just a moment, when I ask you, if you're going through one of those seasons when you just can't take it anymore, would you raise your hands? About a third of us. Ask God to show you what it is that you want, he wants you to learn. Ask God to make you look more like Jesus through your storms. And then ask God to bring somebody into the kingdom of God because of this. In just a minute, we're going to have our, uh, we're going to be dismissed, but I'm going to, I'm going to show you a video because I just felt like you needed to hear this today. Um, three baskets in the back. One is our joy basket. That's how we give registration card basket. If there's something going on in your life and need to pray about, put that on there. And the, <laughs> yeah, I'm just moving fast. And, and the third thing is our bagel basket. Oh yeah. Y'all were quick. Y'all were quick on that one. Um, I wanted, I wanted to end with Carrie Job's live version of I Am Not Alone because somebody here today needs to hear this song that your God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. When this is over, I'll dismiss us.
music just moves my soul. And that song, um, about a year ago, I don't remember exactly, but I told you before, I sat up here and and wept as I just had that song on repeat over and over. I had my guitar out and I just sang because I was I was deeper than I'd, I'd been in years and just felt like... Um, felt like nobody cared. I'm, and I'm not, I'm not saying that the church doesn't. Sometimes life is just too difficult. And I don't know how people make it without God. So I want you to pay attention this week. And I want you to be encouragers. Because some people are really struggling. And we got to be the body of Christ. Hug five people and tell them that you love them. You're dismissed.